Join me as this mum shares her story of thriving again after living and escaping domestic abuse and how she went on to create Soda, an online community giving women on a similar journey a safe, supportive space to connect and feel heard and understood. Join me as I talk to Sam Billingham. Welcome to the Empower podcast for mums in business. We are women building a business we love while making a home for the ones we love more than anything. I'm your host, Nicola Hewlin. Join me as I talk to seemingly ordinary women just like me and you as they share their extraordinary stories and inspirational advice to bounce back even stronger from challenging times and thrive in business, motherhood and life. So I'm delighted to welcome to today's episode, Sam Billingham. Hi, Sam. Hi, Nicola. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you for giving up your time to come along and um, be with me and our audience to share your bounce back story. And we were just chatting, weren't we, about the, the kind of why behind this podcast and all of our guests come on to share a bounce back story because we really want to inspire others who are going through challenging times. Let's face it, it's 2020 as we record this. (laughs) It's generally challenging times. And um, let's start there with your story. What's the bounce back story you'd like to share with our audience today? So my bounce back story is I'm a survivor of domestic abuse. I left my relationship in 2006, but it was only when I left the relationship that I learned I'd been a victim. And I think that is quite hard for people to to understand, especially if they've never been in that situation before. So when I met my ex-abuser, he was charming, he was caring, he loved me, he told me all the things that I wanted to hear, he made me feel special. And two weeks after I met him, I moved into his flat with him. Yes, two weeks after I met this person, I moved into his flat with him. And as I say that now, looking out in, all the signs were there. But actually in that relationship, I didn't see anything at all. I just thought he loved me. We met on a Friday night at my local pub. And when I saw him over the crowded bar, I did like him straight away. And I guess you could say, for me, it was love at first sight. Mm -hmm. As I say, he was charming, he was caring. When I moved in, he was still the same. When he first slapped me in the bedroom, I was shocked. But I noticed his reaction more so than my own. So I tried to leave the bedroom. He pulled me, grabbed me, spun me around and slapped me. Um, Hand out, slap across the face, caught my eye. But as I looked at him, he just showed so much remorse. His eyes were were filling up with tears. And then at that moment, I felt sorry for him, even though I was the one who'd been slapped. And straight away, he was so sorry, promised me it never happened again. You know, I love you, I'd never hurt you. And at that moment, I believed every word he said. We often hear people say, oh, if my partner ever hit me, I'd leave straight away. I didn't leave straight away. And I still didn't recognise it as domestic abuse at that point either. The physical side was far and and few between, so it didn't happen very often. 
it was the controlling side of things that happened subtly at the beginning of the relationship that hurt me the most. So I often say the, the abuse actually started at the honeymoon period of the relationship where he isolated me from my family. So when everything's all new and exciting, you know, and you, you're with that one person who you think you love and you think they love you. And he said, oh, don't go to your mum's tonight. Stay in, we'll stay in, we'll watch a movie. If you love me, you, you'll stay. So I loved him, so I stayed. And then it happened again the next night and the next week and the next week after that. And before I knew it, I wasn't seeing my mum, my parents, my family. Same with friends, he'd often say things like, oh, you know, they're only jealous. They're only jealous and they want to split us up. They just don't want to see you happy. And everything he said, I believed because he loved me. I was a legal secretary when I met him. I loved my job. Um, it gave me a sense of direction, a sense of independence financially. And, and it was a place where I could be me. He told me that I got my job because I'd slept with my boss because it was impossible for somebody as young as me to get a job as a legal secretary. I was in my early 20s. So one morning he locked me in the flat. He threw my mobile phone out of the seventh floor window and I couldn't even make a phone call, you know, to pull a sickie or anything. Um, two days later when I managed to leave the flat, the first place I went to was my workplace because that was my safe haven. And I begged and begged for my boss to listen to me, to hear what was going on behind doors. And I was sacked there and then on the spot. That was, that for me was the most horrific thing that could happen to me because I'd lost everything in that moment, my sense of direction, who I was, everything I'd worked so hard for. I'd been to college and, and it was at that moment that I sort of crumbled. My boss at the time didn't realise that now he'd given my abuser all the power and control that he wanted over me because I couldn't go out now. The only place I could go on my own was shopping. And when I did go out on my own shopping, I'd be bombarded with phone calls and text messages. Where are you? Who are you talking to? When are you coming back? So life for me at that moment changed quite a lot. Uh, my, my mobile phone was completely controlled to the point where early one morning he'd woken up and as he woke up, obviously I woke up at the same time and he was going to the toilet. And when you live with an abuser, you sort of get to know their little traits and you sort of get to know who they are and what they're going to do. And I had this awful feeling that he was going to phone my phone for some strange reason. And my phone was always on silent. So I remember just reaching out, getting my phone, trying so quickly to put it on loud to turn the volume up. So when he phoned, it would ring out. Unfortunately, I was too slow and too late in doing this. So when he rang my phone, it was on silent. He stormed into the bedroom, picked me up, sort of threw me across the bedroom, grabbed my phone, and again, another mobile phone out of the window. And I just remember him shouting at me, you've been phoning your effing mom again, and he just went mad. So life for me was sort of treading on eggshells every single day, goalposts were moved, what was okay one day wasn't okay the next. I learned to stay very, very quiet. I often get a lot of people say, oh, you must have said something. You must have done something to make him do that. I didn't. I was always very childlike. If he was hitting me, I was strangled, I was punched. I'd always sort of try and get into the fetal position because I felt safe that way. I never said anything to encourage him. I'd always got in my mind, if I'm quiet and I let him do what he wants to do, it'll be over quicker. Um, he was an alcoholic. 
and without a drink he was a very very different person with a drink again he was different as well so there was sort of no in between I remember one year one Christmas um, Christmas at home for me had always been amazing but Christmas with my abuser was was very very different and one night he gone to his friend's flat who lived sort of just over the road and I used to like that little bit of freedom when he wasn't there I could I could relax for for a while I, I could you know I was safe and then there'd be the dread when I knew he was coming back and then the fear that just ripped through me when he put his key in the lock and I'd think oh god what sort of mood is he in what's he going to do is the flat tidy is everything have I done everything right is everything in its place and then he came in the one day uh, the one night sorry and he punched me in the face. I fell back onto the settee and for a few, well, it felt like a lifetime, but for a few minutes I, I was knocked out. And all I can remember, very faintly, the back of the room was my dad's voice and it was so calm and he just called my name and it sort of roused me. And as I, I really did think my dad was in the living room at that point. But when I looked, my dad wasn't there. And I remember my abuser just saying, you're a good actor. You, I didn't do anything, you fell. So life as um, a victim of domestic abuse was, was really, 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 really tough for me. Um, I lost friends, I lost family, I lost my job. I lost myself, I lost who I was. I, I couldn't, I didn't listen to my favourite music anymore. I didn't know what my favourite colour was. I didn't have a favourite food. My life just revolved around keeping this one person happy so I could be kept safe, if that makes sense. So whatever he wanted to eat, I would cook. Didn't matter about me. As long as I could keep him happy, that would help me stay safe. If I made a mistake and got things wrong, there were always consequences to pay. So when I left home, um, my mum did everything for me when I lived at home. So when I left home, I didn't know how to cook. But I learned the hard way how to cook. And if it wasn't cooked right, it would go up the kitchen wall and I'd have to cook it again until it was cooked to perfection, to his perfection. If I made a noise, so for example, I was told I was breathing too loud one night. One day I was in the kitchen, I was sorting the food out for the tea and I simply took something out of the freezer, dropped it on the floor. He was in the living room. He came into the kitchen, he picked me up from the kitchen and he threw me across the length of the living room because I'd made a noise. It was tough. It was tough in those, situa in those situations. And I felt at the time that I was on my own. I never spoke out to anyone about what was happening to me because I thought it was normal. I thought it happened in all relationships. So I never spoke out. I simply accepted and tolerated his behaviour as normal. It wasn't until I'd left my relationship in November 2009 when he slapped me, spit my lip open whilst I was old and had a 10-month-old daughter in my arms that I knew I couldn't do this anymore. I'd got someone so precious that I had to protect. And for me, that, that was the turning point in my life. For three years, I put up with so much, but I think it's, it's your motherly instinct, it kicks in, you know, like a tiger cub, I've, I've got to protect my daughter. So that was on a, a Friday night. On the Monday morning, I told him I was going shopping. I wasn't going shopping, I went to my local police station, I made my final statement. I've made so many statements over the years and withdrawed them because of course he promised me it would never happen again. And I wanted to be the one to change him and I wanted him to not hurt me again. Um, so I went to my local police station, made my final statement. And on the same day, I got an injunction order out against him as well. 
to protect me and my daughter and I was so petrified. I knew I was doing the right thing, but I was so scared of the consequences of what would happen once he found out what I'd done. Once I became a mum, he told me I was a crap mum, I was a shit mum, I was never as good as one of his exes and um, he'd always get my daughter taken off me. So when you've been fed this for over a certain period of time, you believe that yourself. So when I went to court, family court, which was just horrific, because again, he's got that power and control over me. He's got his solicitor who he gives instructions to. So he wanted me to do a psychological test. He wanted me to do an alcohol test and a substance test. He did none of this. I was the victim of domestic abuse. I said no contact because he was a violent abuser and I felt at the time that my daughter who was only 10 months old was far too young to be alone with this person but yeah he still got control and he was still telling me what, what to do. This went on for quite a few years he'd um, instructed three solicitors over the years and in the end it was thrown out of court because he didn't instruct his solicitor and he didn't turn up to any of the appointments that were made so that highlights in itself that again it was about power and control and not necessarily wanting to build that relationship with his daughter so that was in uh, sorry November 2006 when I left um, and I thought I could just carry on life as I had done before domestic abuse so I threw myself into motherhood I registered with a local short start centre and got my daughter on all the uh, mother and toddler groups that were going and um, it helped both of us we both made friends we both built up our confidence and in time I became a volunteer in the offices at this Sure Start Centre and the lovely volunteering coordinator she turned around to me one day and she said have you ever thought of helping other people I was like oh my god no I can't do that no 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 that's definitely not something I can do but she planted a seed and I thought about it afterwards and I thought I just wanted to be the support that I never had. When I was in that situation, I was so alone. And even coming out of that relationship, when I'd um, left him, I was referred to a domestic abuse awareness course by social services. I didn't want to go on this course, but because it was social services, again, that fear of if I don't do this, they're going to take my daughter away. And it was literally an eight week awareness course of everything that I'd just been through. And the focus seemed to be on the abuser. So one question out of the whole eight sessions that stayed with me all this time is, what do you love about your perpetrator? Uh, and what do you hate about them? And in all honesty, I just went through the motions. I went there because I had to. So when this lovely coordinator volunteer asked me, have you thought about helping others in May 2009, I decided to simply set up a Facebook group called SODA, Survivors of Domestic Abuse. And it was just a safe haven for those who'd been affected by domestic abuse to come together where I could raise awareness and reduce isolation. The group is still very active today. We've got people all over the world who are part of the group and they come together. They share their experiences with each other. If they're having a bad day, there's somebody there who talk to them somebody there who'll sort of encourage them you know it's just a bad day we can get through this and I've done that ever since I left my abusive relationship I think it's been about 14 15 years now I just raise as much awareness as I possibly can on, on platforms such as this I write for my local ex 
uh, newspaper, The Express and Star. I write 500 word columns, raising awareness. And for me, that is one of the most important things anyone can sort of do for a victim of domestic abuse because many don't know they're being abused until it's too late. I often hear people say, oh, I'm not a victim because I'm not physically hurt. But then they go on to say things such as, you know, my partner tells me what I can and can't wear. My partner tells me who I can and can't see. That's controlling behaviour, that's abuse. So that is my bounce back story, really. I was a victim of domestic abuse and now I use my experience to help other people. Incredible. And raise that awareness. Awareness is so key, isn't it? And thank you for sharing your story so openly, vulnerably, courageously, because I know that's a huge huge drive we were chatting about that before before the interview just to raise that awareness because when we're in it and i i myself have been in that situation where it all starts so wonderfully and that the turning points can be really subtle and coercive and manipulative and it you know it is bizarre i mean i consider myself a smart strong lady and yet, I think until you've been in it, you don't recognize the dynamics that are going on at the time. It is so coercive and changes you from the inside and the fog comes down. And, and it's so easy afterwards, like you and I sitting, chatting here, looking back, connecting the dots and the beauty of hindsight. And I think it's an incredible thing that you're doing, not just everything that you do to raise awareness hold that mirror up and if if other people can see just one tiny reflection that sows that seed of something's not right here it's okay to trust my intuition that this isn't right and this isn't normal and the safe space that you've created with soda is incredible i'm nodding i know people can't see us but i'm nodding because i can relate to obviously everything you've just said i often wish that domestic abuse was as easy as people think it is and it's those people who think it's easy that haven't been there because if they came with a manual or a big red light above their head saying I'm an abuser, it would be easy because we wouldn't be with that person. But an abuser often makes you fall in love with them first before the abuse starts. And then sometimes, as we've said, it's still really difficult to know that we're being abused because it's not always physical. Like you say, it's about the subtle signs, it's about isolation. And I know we've moved on a little bit since I was in that situation, I was controlled a lot. Most of my relationship, you know, I was timed when I went to the toilet. He'd turn up, um, I did get another job, but he turned up unannounced. He'd be in, in reception, so I got sacked from that one as well because he'd bombard me with phone calls and his mum would as well, wanting to know what I was doing and I was at work. Um, to some, seeing your partner turn up, oh, isn't that lovely? Oh, he's picking her up from work, isn't that great? But no, it isn't because he's, spying on me who wants to try and catch me out he's thinking I'm doing something that I shouldn't be so you're always walking on on those eggshells as well and that's part of the cycle that's part of the fear that these abusers instill in you and I often say that he could have told me the sky was green and the grass was blue and I would have believed him they are so manipulative but they're so clever as well because while they're doing this to us behind closed doors to the outside world they seem like the caring partner so when we do say, you know, actually I'm being abused, we often get the reaction of, oh no, but I saw him the other day help the little old lady cross the road, but he was so charming. So it's really difficult for us to, one, 
identify that we're in an abusive relationship and it's really hard for us to actually say, you know, I am being abused. One of the hardest things for me to admit to myself was this man I love is abusing me and then to actually go and tell someone that as well, it's embarrassing and it's, I felt ashamed and I felt as though it was my fault and I felt judged. When in reality, people should think that about the abuser, not the victim. Yeah. And there was something interesting you said as well about the fear of the consequences. You know, we can be in hot water, but there can also be that fear of people on the outside say, well, why don't you just leave? And it is about how you navigate that transition or escape or, or change, whatever we want to call it, because there is that um, fear of, well, how much worse will this make it? Which can, you know, we freeze. We've got the freeze or, or, or fawn response to those fears. And it's not always that easy. And it's, it is spaces like yours, like Soda, like the charities, the Women's Aid, where there are experts, people that we can reach out and talk to, to help navigate that transition, that move in, in the best and safest way possible. Not everybody who listens to this particular episode will have been in the same situation. Thank goodness. You know, challenges are different on, on all levels. But I think there's always parallels, aren't there, when we're in, when we feel stuck, when we feel trapped, when we feel in you know, a, a really adverse situation or, or challenge and we can't see a way out or we fear that trying to get out is going to make things worse. But what would, what would your advice be to people in that situation? So for me, I did leave several times and I did go back several times. I would lie there in bed trying to plan how I could leave this man who knew where my parents lived. He knew everything about me. I did leave. I went to a safe house. He found me. I went back because he promised he would change. So it is really, really, so you've got that sort of side of it as well. You've got, you love this person. You, you do love this person and they know that and they know they've only got to say, oh, you know, I love you. And you sort of, yeah, okay, I believe you. My advice looking back now, most important thing is always go with your gut instinct. Don't go with your head or your heart. If your gut is telling you something's not right, then it's not right. And if you can, try and talk to someone who you can trust. I know this is often difficult because sometimes you've got the same friends as your abuser as well, which is, again, is a reason why we stay. There's lots of reasons why we stay. But I always say, have to be you have to be realistic where domestic abuse is concerned as well and it won't get any better unfortunately it will in the, the abuse will increase in frequency and severity and people are killed by this crime that that is when people have tried to leave as well victims are more vulnerable when they leave an abuser because that abuser is losing that power and control over their partner so I think going with your gut instinct is the most important thing that you can do. If something's not right, then it's usually not. So maybe familiarise yourself. You've mentioned women's aid. There's also mankind as well for male victims. If you can, try and visit the website to look at some of the signs as well, because often I try and describe it as we need to look for the signs that aren't there. So we know about physical abuse. We know what that is, you know, bruises, cuts. They're quite visible. 
But we can also look out for signs that aren't there, such as is our friend withdrawn? If they was this bubbly person now very, very quiet, are they not coming out anymore? They're not answering their phone. The subtle signs that we can learn to recognise. Again, it's about raising that awareness, isn't it? Isn't it sharing these stories and and thinking about those things? You know, I I was always on my phone, always, and then suddenly I'd never never replied to messages. Not because I didn't want to, but because my phone is always monitored. So it's those little signs that people really need to be made aware of. Yeah, there was some something really powerful you said there about you know, statistically, victims are at their most vulnerable when they try to leave. And that can be that, you know, that's a very real threat to our security. It's a, it's a, it's a very genuine fear. It's not just in our, in our minds. And I, I think, I don't know about you, but I think that's where it becomes important that if we are looking to make a change, that we get the right support to, to make that both doable and safe, um, you know, particularly if we have for ourselves and, and where there are children involved and mankind, women's aid, and there are other uh, charities out there that have experts who will offer support in different ways. Would you agree that it's important to get that, get that right support, professional support? Absolutely. As I've said, mom is just an awareness course of everything that I've been through. It wasn't help. I wasn't given a helpline number. I wasn't given a website to go to. So I just felt so alone, which is, I see that as, as quite dangerous, really, because we don't want we don't want to go back to the arms of our abusers. So a strong support package has got to be in place to help victims make that transition and move safely away from their abuser. I mean, when I left my, my abuser, I was absolutely petrified. I remember seeing him one day, I was with my dad, four people, my dad, and I couldn't get out of the car. I literally froze because he was there. He didn't see me. He, was, he wasn't that close, but in my mind, he was close enough. And I just froze. I'd, I'd shake, I'd wee myself, all kinds of things. So leaving is, is so, so difficult because you've got all these emotions to contend with as well. And it's one in four women and one in six men who experience domestic abuse at some point during their lifetime. But also two women each week are killed by their partner or former partner in England and Wales. So when people sit there and say, oh, why don't you just leave? It really isn't that hard. And as you say, when you've got children as well with your abuser, it's even harder. Mm. Because again, they use their own children as a tool and weapon to gain that control over their partner. And again, the victim, they're torn because they don't want to be the person to split up their family. They still want their child to see their their mum or their dad, depending on who the abuser is. So it's really, really complex, really complex. But support is one of the most important things to give anyone who's leaving an abusive relationship. Um, as you've said about the two charities, Mankind and Women's Aid, they have 24-hour helplines. They have online support now because, as you, you've mentioned, times have changed quite a lot. Um, and it's not safe to, to go out and make those phone calls. But support is one of the most powerful things that we can give to any victim of domestic abuse. And we must get that right. Absolutely. And I want to talk about, you know, the, the happily ever after part of the story, because um, 
obviously I I can see you, those on the podcast tuning in can't, you know, you have such incredible energy and a massive smile. You do this work now supporting others. And I'd like to talk about what life can look like on the other side, you know, and where's, where's the silver lining in what you've been through. It's interesting. This theme, I've done quite a few of these interviews now, and this is such a common theme. Like you say, one in four women, uh, one in six men. And I think those stats, I remember seeing something about that's for often for the, the physical abuse, because the emotional abuse often goes unrecognized and they don't get the stats from the hospitals because there's nothing to rock up at A&E with, with a broken bone or, or whatever. So that, you know, those stats are at a minimum. So it's not surprising to me that this theme comes out a lot. And I was talking to a lady called uh, Emma Roscoe. We did her interview yesterday in a very similar theme. Um, and she was talking, she said this one sentence about, She's now on a mission. I'll connect you two ladies if you don't. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, she's now on a mission to, to support women um, through the work that she does. And she spoke about she wants to show survivors. They're out of crisis, but they need help to really find themselves again and come back to themselves and recognize that surviving is beautiful. And I loved that you know, whether we're talking about the, the examples we're giving today or any type of adversity that we are survivors of, survival can be beautiful. Survival can be, become our superpower. It can become our strength. So I'd love for you to share, share with the audience what, what's been your silver lining in everything that you've been through. Look at, looking back on it now, how has it become your, your strength, superpower, it's all thanks to my daughter. She literally did save my life. I believe if I hadn't had my daughter, that I would have stayed. So this, my life would have been very, very different if I had stayed. So she's my rock. She saved my life. But being a survivor is absolutely amazing. I can come home. I can do whatever I want. I can put on the TV, whatever I want. I can listen to any song I want. I can have a three-hour bath if I want without someone coming in. So for me, it's about all those little things that, Maybe I took for granted before domestic abuse and during domestic abuse, I was unable to do, but now I can do them. So if I want to speak to whoever I want to speak to in the street, I can do those things. And I've got freedom to do those things. And freedom for me is just so powerful. And also you don't know who's watching. You don't know who is watching you rejoice in your freedom. And I know this might sound very odd, but I'm glad I went through what I went through because I've had an amazing journey over the last 14 years. I've met some amazing people. I've met some amazing survivors. I've heard their, their, their amazing stories. And without being a victim of domestic abuse, I wouldn't be able to do what I do today. I wouldn't be able to write for my local newspaper. I wouldn't be an ambassador for a local charity. I've even got my own little radio show coming up. Amazing. Uh, use it as a platform again to raise awareness so that's coming out very very soon I'm just passionate about letting people know that you are a survivor and you can survive this and no matter how many times your abuser says you won't be able to cope without me you can and you will 
you sort of have this inner strength. It takes time. It, it's not easy. It's not an easy journey. And I often say our healing journey is as, a, as individual and as unique as we are. So it's not a race. It's just taking one day and one step at a time. It's about finding out who you are. I now have a part-time job, which I absolutely love. I can go there and I can be Sam. I'm, I'm not mom. I'm Sam for a few hours a week. And it's just lovely. There's, there's, it's just amazing. It really is to have that freedom to be able to do what you want to do without those consequences. It's just the best feeling ever. Incredible. So powerful. Sam, we're coming towards the end of our time together. Thank you so much. Before you go, though, I'd like to ask you one last thing, because I always like to ask our guests to leave our audience with a bounce back challenge. So either a question that you would like them to reflect on or a particular challenge you would like to set for them as part of their own bounce back journey what would your bounce back challenge be to our audience oh that's an interesting one um i think my bounce back would be a question um and i think it would be actually this is quite tough um i think it would be something like if you could write a short bio about yourself you know like we've got on twitter we have a little bio what would your bio say about you and the reason is, I think sometimes during any trauma or any experience that we've been through, we often forget who we are. We often forget about ourselves. We often put ourselves on the back burner, especially for parents and things like that. So maybe we could sit there and just write a short bio. How would you describe yourself in that bio? Love that. There you are, those who are tuning in. There's your challenge, your... What is your bio? Who are you? Uh, we'd love to hear them. There's a hashtag bounce back stronger if you want to share your bio. And um, if you would like to connect with Sam, find out more about Sam's work, the soda safe space where you can connect with Sam and her amazing community. You'll find details in the show notes. And um, we'll also put the links of the two charities that we've particularly mentioned today as well. If anybody would like to uh, check those out. Sam, thank you so much for giving up your time and coming onto the show today to share your story, help create that awareness and share your words of wisdom. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for the opportunity. It's been amazing. Thank you. It just remains for me to say goodbye on behalf of Sam and myself. Thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to the Empower podcast for mums in business. And thanks goes to our podcast series sponsors, Bounce Life, insurance to protect you, your business and your family. To get your free startup and business growth kickstart guide and to find out about our Empower community, go to empower.global.